um, what are the economics of this going to be? Are you saying, well, no, we're going to have a model that comes at no cost to any citizen, but will it get you the goal of sort of rolling through different neighborhoods? Um, so mm-hmm. those, those are the hard questions. Hi, and welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. In this episode, Chris takes us to Springfield, Massachusetts, where he recently attended a broadband community's economic development conference. While he was there, he met up with Ellen Katz, the Consumer Council for the State of Connecticut, and Bill Valley, State Broadband Policy Coordinator. Ellen shared some exciting news about efforts to expand gigabit access in three Connecticut communities. Businesses in the region have expressed a need for fast, affordable, reliable access. Community leaders are taking steps to create an environment friendly to private enterprise with a strategy that embraces publicly owned infrastructure. The project in mind is an open access network and ISPs have already expressed interest. Ellen, Bill and Chris discuss how these communities are taking advantage of their existing assets, how they are adopting a collaborative approach, and some of the state regulatory changes that facilitate broadband deployment in Connecticut. Here's Chris with an on-site interview with Ellen Katz and Bill Valley. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, today live, coming to you from Springfield, Massachusetts, with Ellen Katz, Consumer Council of uh, State of Connecticut. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Bill Valley, the Broadband Policy Coordinator in the State of Connecticut. Nice to see you, Chris. I have to say that, that Ellen, it's my first time meeting you. Bill has been one of the most fun people year after year at the Broadband Communities Conference. In... How high a bar is that? <laughs> you know, there's some fun people there, but, but Bill, is a, Bill is a very entertaining person. So. Um, um, Ellen, could you describe your job just for a second? What does the Consumer Council do? Yes, I am the Consumer Advocate on Energy, Natural Gas, Water, and Telecommunications. I am the head of a very small independent, nonpartisan state agency. Okay. And, and Bill, you often are described as an SBI. What is that and what do you do? I'm a state broadband initiative person. My uh, salary is reimbursed by the National Telecommunications and Inter... <laughs> NTIA. NTIA, yes. Department of Commerce, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the NTIA basically advises the White House and other executive branch uh, groups as to telecommunications and information issues. In particular, broadband. Excellent. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is you have this very exciting announcement. Uh, why don't you tell us what you've just announced and, and what, what, what Connecticut is experimenting with? Yeah, on uh, Monday, September 15th, we announced that there are three communities in Connecticut. The town, excuse me, the city of West Hartford, New Haven, and Stanford are, have issued a joint RFQ, Request for Qualifications, seeking... Uh, internet service providers or other interested parties who want to work with them on developing gig networks in their communities. I think what's a little unique about it is it's an open access RFQ in that they are inviting any other town in, in Connecticut to join them. So because they realize the bigger the better and there's economies of scale and strength of numbers. And so uh, I think that's unique. It's a unique model we haven't seen it anywhere else in the country and already, actually even before we announced it, we were getting calls from other municipalities saying, well, wait a minute, I, you know, this sounds interesting. So it's off to a good start. Well, let me ask, I think there's a perception, Connecticut, rather small state, probably, in my estimation, probably pretty well served already. 
what is uh, what is the need in general? Uh, is it to be competitive with the fastest the gigabit cities, or is it just to maintain some basic baseline connection? Well, the, you're right. We are, as, as far as built out, we are pretty built out. We do have 169 towns in our little state, um, and the average speed is about 9 meg. Uh, but what we're trying to do is meet the need that we've heard, what I would call an existing need from um, business, the business community. We did a listening tour this summer around the state aimed at businesses and got a tremendous turnout, particularly from the high-tech sector, saying, describing their challenges either with not being able to get adequate speed or being able to get it after a very, very long wait at a very, very high price. Mm -hmm. So we look at that as I think there's already a pent-up demand in the business market. And then we also heard from these same businesses and from citizens that um, they're having trouble attack, attracting young talent or creating the kind of virtual office space they want if, because um, they want to come and work from home, and we've got high-tech industries like we've um, put a lot of investment and energy into Jackson Labs, which is genomic medicine, individualized medicine, massive data. Um, and we went and met with uh, the folks out there and said we were, you know, thinking about this. Are you interested in it? And um, the professors there, because it's part of UConn, were practically jumping over the table saying, if I could work from home, that would be life-changing. It would. You know, every time I get an idea in the middle of the night, I gotta drive into the office. So I want to do anything about it. So, I think we have a burgeoning consumer market and a um, really ramping up pretty quickly business market. One of the things that, that we like to really focus on is city-owned networks. Now, this this kind of approach is is wide open uh, to lots of different approaches, right? Yeah. So it, it may, you could have responses from people that want to work with the cities, where the city mm -hmm. would perhaps put up the funding and and own the network. Uh, mm -hmm. But have a private operator. There's, there's really any model is open at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in my office we joke that there's um, sometimes it's good to be fifth. You know, you don't always want to be the early adopter. <laughs> uh, so we want to learn from all those who've come ahead of us. So there's, as you know, many many municipal net networks already in play and already different models. But we're looking for the um, providers or the people who think they can help us to come in and say, all right, looking at your demographics, looking at your topography, looking at your structure, this is what makes the most sense. Yeah, I want to service these three towns, but if you could create a regional coalition, then I can do this for you. Or if you look at it on a bigger level, a grander level. I've also heard from internet um, ISPs who said, well, yeah, you know, I'm definitely going to respond. I probably couldn't do a whole area, but I could certainly do a small town. So we're just trying to get all the options on the table. What kind of assets do these towns have to contribute? Do any of them already have fiber or, or other kinds of in-kind contributions? Well, that's a good question, Chris. Um, West Hartford, I'll, I'll single out because it had a rich individual who uh, took it upon himself in, in 2000 to develop a 75-mile fiber, hyperfiber coax at the time. It's now fully fiber uh, network, which he thought he could do a video on demand or video dial tone, as we called it back then. And uh, so he built it out, and the, the problem was that he was really the only guy doing that at the time. And so uh, the Southern New England Telephone Company, now AT&T, soon to be uh, Frontier, <clears throat> took him on in a headlock big time, so, which is how I came into play with him, because we, we tried to do it with administrative law, we went to federal court, we went to state court, we went ex parte to the FCC to try and protect that that investment and asset, mm -hmm. 
and they just wore him down. So $50 million out of the cookie jar, later he, uh, he said, you know, enough already. So he gave it to the town of West Hartford, which it now owns it today. And a couple of years ago, they did a general obligation bond for two million bucks, brought it up to speed, made it spick and span, and they're running it around the entire town, doing municipal buildings, libraries, schools, the whole shaboop. And uh, I think they're a very viable candidate. Uh, I could think of a number of ISPs that have spoken to me about, gee, you know, <laughs> that might be an intriguing idea for me. Um, Stanford, obviously, they have, Connecticut has a, I don't know if it's a law so much as a philosophy or a theme that uh, transportation-based housing and all, all that kind of thing. So you, you center around a railroad station, say in Stanford, which is a huge <laughs> railroad thing, because it's all commuters into New York City, which isn't very far from there. And you have Westport, right down the line all the way over to New Haven, mm -hmm. uh, going through there. So they have several thousand millennials with incomes over 100,000 bucks, plus the corporations. Okay. So that's a prime market, and I think that, that market will do very well. And then New Haven has um, much more of low income and bigger problems and so forth, but it also has Yale right downtown. Uh, which is obviously a very wealthy institution, and it's it's got fingers out into the uh, into the community, and mm -hmm. it's a very community-minded uh, university. So that's a, that's an appealing kind of place too. No, I don't think there's any actual um, municipal fiber to the home networks uh, in Connecticut other than what you just mentioned with West Hartford. Actually, it's not fiber to the home. Uh, uh, was an attempt at fiber to the home. Yeah, right. that's right. right but Concept there, right? never got yeah. there. Yeah. Right. There is no retail. That's true. Okay. A lot of towns do have their own fiber. I could name a half a dozen right mm -hmm. off the top. And it's mostly municipal use. Mm -hmm. So it's what you would expect. Which is common. I think while there's 400 communities we've tracked that do municipal fiber to private entities, I estimate there's well over a thousand that just do it to community anchor institutions right. and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. it's not very surprising. And one more thing about these three municipalities. Um, we, Bill and I have been working on this for a couple of years, but we had a conference in April in which we geared it specifically toward municipal officials, um, state officials, legislators, and service providers. And as a result of that, these are the three towns that really stepped forward and said, we really want to do this. They came looking for us. So mm -hmm. um, we thought it made sense to start with the three most motivated towns um, because I think political will is a big, big part of getting this done. And these are three towns who are determined and have a great track record for getting things done, being organized, and getting stuff off the ground. So, so um, would you say that was a, a catalyzing event, having a conference inviting so many different stakeholders together in April? I think it was, yeah. I mean, this is something we had been talking about to various people in the halls and in, in meetings, and my philosophy was, all right, let's just have this conversation in, in out in the open. Um, we invited the incumbents to come, and they came, and they participated as well as a lot of the some of the smaller providers in the state. Um, and I look at it as we have a problem, and how are we going to get to the best solution? Right? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's naive of me to think that people are going to think that at face value, but that really is. Um, I think I want to know from all the parties how how. Not everyone agrees there is a problem, though, so that's right. one of the issues. Right, and, well, and, and I think one of the things about having an event like that is it forces people who may say, we don't think there's a problem, to state it in public right. and may find that 90% of the audience laughs at them. Yeah, yeah. Well, at our event on Monday when we did a big press conference launching it, each of the mayors brought in one or two high-tech industries from their from right in their towns who stood up and said, we need this, and this is why, mm -hmm. and this is why. And then we had um, Jackson Labs, the big biotech 
business company represented. And then we had um, also had a statement from uh, Moon Choi, who's the provost of Yukon. So you know, we really tried to create a picture of how the need was there, because I think you have to demonstrate need and market before you can move on to the next level, which mm -hmm. is um, giving responses. Another asset I might add uh, is that Ellen and I have traveled around talking to large ISPs, not necessarily Lex or, uh, or, or cable companies that I might not... Lex being phone companies. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I'm an old telephone guy, old is the word. But a non-Lex uh, non or, or, or a telephone company or a cable company. Uh, big names that I won't name. And um, the thing that, that those types of entities have been most impressed by by Connecticut is the, the public rights of way access. Yeah, I wanted to finish up with that. There's something called the municipal gain, which is a very boring term. But what is the municipal gain and why is it so interesting in Connecticut? Well, the municipal gain is if you think of a, a utility pole be, de, being divided into sections like the rugs on a ladder, the municipalities have their, they're called games, they have their own game, they have their own space on the pole that's just for them. Mm -hmm. And it originally started for signal wires, for fire, for telegraph, I mean the history's a little blurry, but, um, and that sort of has evolved, but in 2013 we made a statutory um, change and said that the municipal game can now be used by the municipality for any purpose, period. Um, so we think that that makes it it gives the municipalities like a great tool to you know lease their their right of way or build their own network. I mean they have access to the polls as of right, and uh, we've been told by some of the big other companies um, this is one of the best, if not the best, statutory schemes in the country. For because as you know, utility polls access is is the biggest factor for anyone who wants to come and string a network. So mm -hmm. and that's on top of. Um, also on Saturday, I mean, we've had a big week, they announced uh, out of our Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, there's a draft decision approving an idea we've been pushing a little over for years called the Single Poll Administrator. So um, that's that's really exciting too, if you want to mention that, Bill, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's, let's hear it. Well, yeah. it's very exciting. It's Bill's brainchild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I've been championing this ago. thing for a million years. <laughs> I was called a communist by the lead commissioner in an oral argument once. In a telephone. long time ago, not the currently. <laughs> no, no, definitely. No one is currently living or even in my imagination. But, uh, and one of the telephone attorneys came in with one of those Chinese beaver hats <laughs> with the big red stars. And said, this has to be on your head. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, but it's, it's now it's going to happen. It's like incredible. So, um, basically what has happened is the electric companies, there are two in Connecticut, have made a proposal to the regulator saying, we would like to be the single pole administrator and these are the things we would do. And it's basically to streamline and manage the process of attachments. I would also add on top of that that the make ready process in Connecticut, and the, in fact the entire attachment process to the public rights away conduit or polls, has been beautifully structured. It has very tight uh, deadlines. It was mentioned in the National Broadband Plan as, as a, a very cool thing. And so they will be basically the clerk of the works or the, the manager on the polls uh, to make those deadlines happen. Mm -hmm. If they don't, they will report to the regulator. And the regulator has said in this draft decision, and there will be penalties from mom and dad to, to make sure this happens. Okay. So we've made it as easy, as cheap, and as fast as anywhere in the country to get on the polls. Excellent. Well, I really hope that that makes a difference. I mean, 
this is one of those issues that the cable and the telephone companies for years have said, well, if you make it really easy, then we'll invest all this money. And many of us haven't believed them. So this is a great opportunity for them to prove us wrong by building great networks throughout Connecticut. I'll keep you posted. We'll come back in a year and tell you how many great new networks have arisen because of this from our incumbent folks. Right. Yes. Well, and possibly, I presume that there's no limit. So you, you could potentially have um, multiple providers uh, with different interests or even overlapping interests applying yeah. to work with these cities. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, we followed partially the largely Louisville model and also the NC Engine model. And a Louis, Louisville had multiple responses and I think right. are focusing on three different providers. So we could have, you know, one, a big town like Stanford or. Um, New Haven could easily end up with more than one response, or or maybe we'll have you know an angel come in and say, oh, we'll do all of you and anyone else who wants to come in, and we have a great mm -hmm. deal. So I think that's what's sort of exciting and scary is we have no idea what's behind door number one, two, or three. Right. So I have a, a hard question I'd like to ask. I'm curious. Um, Bill did it. Ask Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a concern that some of the responses might say, yes, we'd love to serve the areas around Yale. Mm -hmm. And the rest of New Haven can take a flying leap. Right, right. <laughs> is, right. Is, that a, is that a concern? I mean, yeah, I think obviously you have to be aware of, of um, both the demographics of the communities and also what are your goals. I mean, I am becoming, I think ideal, your ideal response gives you an open access system that can bring that can spread to whole communities including your lower income areas because you want to bring the advantages to it um mm -hmm. now if you the the flip side of that is well i think it's the google fiber fiberhood model makes probably the most sense if you're just looking from a pure economic because you're you're going to the audience so or a market driven approach market driven approach crowdsourcing mm -hmm. um i think the question is well do you do you go with that approach because that gets something done and then you hope incrementally you spread out? I mean, you said yourself today, an incremental approach may be the best. Mm -hmm. But you think you have to be confident that you're incrementally moving in the right direction. So, right. Um, yeah, I think I think it is a, it's, it's an issue um, and it's one we're very aware of. Mm -hmm. So it depends on your public policy goals and those are still being, I think we'll refine those based on the, the possible, not just the ideal. Right. This is where, I mean, I, I kind of wish that our friend Blair Levin was uh, in the room yes. because, you know, Blair would say, well, if even if you only build out to a small portion, everyone is better off or nobody is worse off. Right. Um, and, and I've disagreed with him on that. And uh, um, But I think that, that this is exciting because we are in a period where we can experiment with different models. Mm -hmm. And and I and I would hope that, that some of the responses to some of the cities in Connecticut will be, in fact, making sure that every last person is connected. Yeah, and those may be more expensive models. And mm -hmm. so that's me, that means you have to make sit down make some decisions about um, what are the economics of this going to be. Are you saying, well, no, we're going to have a model that comes at no cost to any citizen. Mm -hmm. um, I know that's certainly appealing on a lot of levels. Um, or, but will it get you the goal of sort of rolling through different neighborhoods? Um, so mm -hmm. those, those are the hard questions. I was thinking too that uh, we mentioned the municipal gain earlier and it's a, a space on the poll, but we also have the Connecticut Education Network, which was the, the is now fully built out as a product of the BTOP grant from the 09-010 period. And it was $94 million, and all 169 towns have this fiber network. And it's quite robust. Uh, they deliver 10 gig to nodes, and then but they actually shop one. But you can easily you know, ramp up 
and it has bursting up to 10 quite easily. So it's a school, it's a library, it's a municipal building, fire and police in every town. So it's quite robust. And I think that will help with the lower income and to, to other areas, uh, and particularly rural, because our rates with the Connecticut Education Network aren't, they're in the middle of the market mm -hmm. for, the, for these speeds. However, our, uh, our maintenance is top. I mean, you're fixed in hours, not days. And, and so quality of the service is excellent, but most particularly it goes to every single town. So that's why the rates are where they are, because if you average them across, which you have to do by right, we have towns where it costs several hundred thousand dollars to simply put a note in, you know, and FiberTech, and, and excuse me for naming names, but, you know, FiberTech actually owns the fiber. They were the recipients of the VTOP money, literally. Um, don't have to do that. I mean, they're cherry picking the way you just described they do, mm -hmm. and that's correct. Uh, whereas the Connecticut Education Network had to go to every town. Mm -hmm. And so we were in every town. There's no reason that somebody couldn't come in and do retail on a local level in the middle of nowhere. Because they just right. tap into our node and they go out as far as it economically makes sense. I think that's a great plan. There's no reason to do that. I can definitely see that down the road. It's not that our network is totally unique, but it's it's up there because it's so robust. I mean, we were pretty well along. It's a wealthy state. No admitting that. No denying that. So we were well along, and so we were perfect for BTOP because it was a shovel ready, even in the broadband sense, because it was designed, permits, everybody's mm -hmm. in place, and so we did 911. So that's totally IP. And then uh, this education network. What we're, I mean, we're so advanced in terms of infrastructure on the education network, and I'm on the board that governs the thing, um, that we're now shipping our, our brains up into content because we have the access. You've solved the problem. Yeah, the, the railroad is yeah. into the schools. The railroad right. is into the libraries and so forth. Now it's a question of, do, can we have better boxcars mm -hmm. going into that, those facilities? And, you know, there are school districts in, in Connecticut, Glastonbury comes to mind, where all the administrators have iPads, all the teachers have iPads, and we're starting to roll it into classes. Mm -hmm. Glastonbury, for instance, just this term, which is just starting, has 7, 8, and 10, and 11. All the kids got iPads. Mm -hmm. And we have the capacity because of this, this incredible... In the schools, right? Yeah. 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 So we're, we're rocking in that sense. Excellent. Well, is there, are there any final comments? No, thanks for, thanks for having us on and stay tuned. I hope we can keep talking to you and about what the responses are and I'm always interested in your expertise as to uh, what models have worked and, and what have been less successful because that's going to inform, I think, the direction. I was going to say, uh, the work you do is awesome, and the blog is great, and the uh, these radio shows are awesome. Well, I, I want to thank you both, Ellen Katz and Bill Valley, for coming on the show today. Thanks, Thanks. a million. Stay good. We are certainly looking forward to sharing more about the West Haven, Hartford, and Stamford project as it develops. Until then, send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at uninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at communitynets. This week, we want to thank Jesse Evans for the song, Is It Fire? Licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you again for listening. Mm -hmm.